0: Hey, y'all. This week on the podcast, we're talking with our friend Giannis Patellas from the popular series Meat Eater. And since it's September now and Giannis and I share a similar affection for elk hunting, I couldn't help but steer the conversation that direction. We talk hunting tactics, old stories, and, of course, favorite recipes. Lastly, hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, do us a big favor, head on over to iTunes, give us a rating, and write us a review. Enjoy the show. Yeah, when's your first hunt? We leave out in... I think it's three weeks now. We'll leave on, like, September the 9th, ninth or 10th, head to New Mexico. Yeah. What about you?
1: Uh, we're actually heading down to Louisiana a week from today to do some fishing um, and uh, maybe try to snag a nutria and a gar and some redfish and then hang out with this, with a – I guess he's a popular chef down there. His name is Justin debellier. I don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but uh, – yeah and do some cooking so we're going out to the chandelier islands you ever heard of those oh yeah those are yeah. legendary yeah yeah i've never stepped foot in the state so i'm, I'm kind of like we're staying in new orleans so i'm going to be doing the tourist thing <laughs> really okay
0: yeah so we, we go actually uh jordan and ben and myself spend a, a good bit of time down there and then troy who works with us he's he's from down there from like <laughs> south south of Louisiana, and uh area called chalmette's where he's from and that's actually where we still go fishing out of but a lot of the times when we go red fishing and trout fishing we we can look and see the chandelier islands but those are that's a pretty legendary spot for for fishing for sure
1: yeah and they say it should be good this time of year right
0: yeah oh yeah yeah no doubt yeah you get into the reds like that man it's it's a uh, it is hard to beat it's pretty fun for right. sure
1: as long as we don't get a hurricane yeah yeah you don't want one of those
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> That area, bless their heart, they're prone for them, but yeah, don't you don't want one of those. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, now, is this for the the regular old Primos podcast?
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. For sure. So you're like
1: you're like the main host. You host the show and then have guests, other people from Primos, join you.
0: Yeah, for sure. We like mainly what we do is is uh like during the season, like when we're traveling and stuff, it, it can yep. get kind of a pain to because I still primarily do video and then all that kind of whatnot. So it yeah. it's it becomes more of a struggle to work in like guest. But during the summer when we're not traveling it's a lot easier and then, you know, like pre elk season. Like we'll I mean we'll start working like planting food plots at Cottonmouth within the next week or two, but it's still pretty easy for me to cycle people in. But yeah, yeah, I've been uh we've been doing it for about a little over two years now.
1: So, cool. Yeah and congrats on finishing school, man. That's sweet. sweet.
0: I appreciate it, man. Look, it was a uh, like I tell everyone this this story. Like uh, I went into uh, the Primo's headquarters, never stepped foot in there before. The first time I ever met Will, and shook his hand, you know. So I was like, you know, I was like, oh, it's Will Primo's, you know.
1: Yeah, starts. Uh, I would be the same way. I've never a, never shaking his hand yet either. And when I get to hopefully one day, I'll be the same way. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's a you know, it's like a, it, someone I'd grown up as being a hero of mine still is, you know, but. Uh, we, I was interviewing for the job and he looked at me like in the middle of the interview, just kind of cut everything off. It was like, I'm not going to hire you if you don't promise you, are going to finish your school. I was like, I will finish my school, sir. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. It's been about five or so years in the making plus the time I was already on campus, but it's over now. Thankfully.
1: Oh, that's fast, man. I'm on like the, uh, 15 year plan. So,
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I heard that.
1: I my sister-in-law just moved to town. I started teaching at the uh, at the university here, and so I was hitting her up last night. I was like, I wonder if you could help me out there with tuition, you know? Because I know if you're like if like anybody with like next to kin, I think gets free tuition since she's yeah. a professor there, you know? So I yeah. don't know. It's a it's, lot to take on, man, when you got a couple little kids running around the house. I can't imagine, man. Look,
0: I thought I had a lot to deal with. Like, I got to the point I wasn't even taking classes in the fall because fall is for sure the busiest time that we have. And I tried to take a online class and yeah. it did not go well at all. So I just, I was taking classes in the spring and in the summer and it finally worked out. They like said it took a while. And then I thought, I thought balancing that schedule and my puppy dog was a lot to worry about. I can't imagine <laughs> you got a lot more on your plate.
1: <laughs> but people do it all the time, you know. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, it, it, it's 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 doable. Like I mean, if I can do it, it's doable, you know, because I'm not <laughs> found a way to make it work.
1: <laughs> That'd be tough for me if I had to decide which, if I had to do spring or fall semester, um, because do I want it to affect my uh, big game hunting or affect my turkey hunting?
0: Oh look! Here's the here's the funny part. Uh, the one of the first spring classes I take was an ornithology it was an ornithology class. Yeah. So we had yeah. So well we had a, a we had a lab assignment right? Like Wil Wilbur loves this story. Like we had one lab and me and uh, Will were going turkey hunting in Missouri, and the lab assignment the teacher said I want you to spend at least two hours outside and observe birds, and I want you to write down exactly what you saw. <laughs> I was like, three barred owls, a couple crows, you know, five long-bearded turkeys, six hens. <laughs> yeah, you could do yeah.
2: that one. Uh, yeah, that I, I had it.
0: no problem with that lab assignment. I did, I did pretty well.
1: <laughs> right, you could have done it for the whole class.
0: Yeah, 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 but uh like I said, it, you know, it worked out. It worked out. Man, thank, thank you for for taking the time to do this, man. I know you're a busy dude.
1: Sure, man, no problem. Like I said, it's it's not quite like meeting Will Primos, but you're close, man. You're 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 primo super, <clears throat> superstar.
0: Yeah, no, man. I'm just I'm just riding the coattails.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, me too, man. Over here, you know, I, I've been lucky to fall into where I'm at over here. You know, working with a lot of great talent around me that uh, you know allows all of us to shine, so to speak. Yeah,
0: well, man, I mean, I think, like, uh, I'm sure you know, like Jordan Peterson is, right? He's been on Rogan's podcast a bunch of times. Anyhow. Yes, yes, Jordan, I did. He said something that I really liked one time. He said, because uh, someone was asking him about, like, all these, you know, profound things that he comes up with to say, and he says, it's not like I invented these ideas. I'm just, right. you know, I'm just, and that's, that's the way I feel. You know, I'm like, it's not like, you know, I'm just... Like, even the stuff that I learned before I got to Primo's, a lot of that I got from watching Will Primo's growing up. So, I'm just a...
1: Spirit, sure, man. All uh, information yeah. is just handed down. You familiar with J.J. Kale? You know who that is? I do. Yeah. I was watching a show. It wasn't really like a show. It was a um something that NPR used to do. It was like a half interview and then half musical program. And they used to record them in Boulder, Colorado at the Boulder Theater, I believe it was. And we went to see him there. And they asked him the same thing, like, aren't you kind of mad that, like, Eric Clapton took a bunch of songs that you wrote and made big hits out of them? And I think there was a couple other artists that did that, too. And do you feel like they kind of stole it from you? And he's like, no, man. He's like, that's how it works in music. Like, everything I know, I kind of stole and learned from other people. And it just kind of keeps moving on down the line. You know, I'm happy to be where I'm at. You know, yeah, That's yeah. a good look at it.
0: That's the attitude to have about it, I think. You know. So before, like, I got, I, like, the first question to dive into this podcast, I feel like is an important one that, that only you could answer if you're ready okay. for it, okay? So I got to know, like, how long did you train martial arts with those hiking sticks before you found yourself to be lethal against grizzly bears?
1: Um, about 0. 000, uh, one okay. seconds. Uh... Man, how how many how many times have you been
0: asked about that about that story?
1: You know, not too often. I mean, I guess early on it, it was it was I wouldn't get asked about it, but I'd be with somebody that knew the story. And if they knew that somebody in the group or around hadn't heard it, they'd be like, Hey, listen, everybody's gotta sit down and Yanni's gonna tell you a story now about this grizzly bear charge, <laughs> you know? And I'd be like, All right, here it goes again. Um Yeah, I've told it a few times. I actually re-listened to uh, that uh, podcast episode the other day um, just because I felt like I'd become removed a little bit from the story. And uh, it it definitely kind of chilled me a little bit to be listening to all of us sort of in that very fresh, you know, uh, post-charge state of mind, you know, recounting those details and uh, definitely raised the hairs on the back of my neck. Man, I like one, like one, couple things. Like that's that's
0: probably that's probably my favorite podcast episode that I've listened to y'all, listened to of y'all's, and I love y'all's podcast. Your podcast is great. I, every episode that comes out, it's pretty much automatically downloads, and I'm listening to it while I'm driving down the road. Y'all do a fantastic job. Well, thank uh, you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, man. Um, but then also, like we had an incident. Like it, it's it's it sounds like a like a like a very great overstatement to call it incident. When you're talking about a bear attack, like we were Turkey hunting in New Mexico and we had a mountain lion walk by our campsite where our tents were. Mm-hmm. And that sent chills down my spine. And I was like, man, what would I do if a, if a dang bear came charging at me? Like a grizzly bear. I said, like, I'd so I can, I know like I, I, we want to talk elk, but I had to at least ask you about that. I asked, I asked Steve too, when I had him on here uh, last year, cause it's just, something not something you hear very often those kind of
2: those no
1: it's it's not and i hope to never have to experience it again i've had two of them now uh you know charging at me and uh i don't need a third one but um yeah i think it's good to sort of recount it and keep thinking about it because it's uh keeps you on your toes and uh I think you need to be thinking through that kind of stuff. So if it does happen again, you know your mind—they always say—if your mind's been there, then your you know your mind and body can react in the moment. You know it's sort of like training. But uh, I think it was like the purest form of fight or flight. And I think that had I had a second longer, I'm not like a, I'm not a fighter by any means. Mm-hmm. Had I had a second longer, my brain would have gone to flight. But I think because it was upon us so fast. That it, my brain was like, you do not have time for flight. And so pick up whatever is next to you. There could have been a rock next to me. And I think I would have picked the rock up and thrown it or whatever it was. You know what I mean? It just was like, I didn't make that decision. Like I tell everybody like what I did there for about two seconds or whatever, however long that took. It was not me. It was just like this response, you know, just pure a, reaction. A, a yeah. Co- yeah. you know, that's crazy. Yeah,
0: you know, it, I, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I can't even because like, I've never even you know, I've never even laid eyes on a grizzly. Like I've always wanted to. Like I wanted I don't I don't want to see one that close, but I want I'd like to see one. You know. Don't you guys hunt Montana? That, yeah, I say I've uh, I've hunted Montana one time. Okay.
1: Uh,
0: uh, two, three, at least three years ago, and then and are, other,
1: are there a grizz where where you guys are hunting?
0: I don't believe so. Like, I'm not gonna. I, I don't know enough about it but if we we never saw any and i didn't hear what, any
1: what mountain range are you in
0: uh the belt mountains
1: oh you know they have like the i think right now they have like the occasional kind of passerby and they might have like a bear or two that sort of set up residence but it's definitely kind of in that zone of the state where they don't have they wouldn't call it like they have a population there you know right
0: right yeah and it's um yeah, I would very much like
1: to see one,
0: but it just hasn't hasn't happened for me yet. But um uh, Yeah, so let's get to talking about elk, man. I mean it's getting close yep. to September, right? Let's get on this some, some fun stuff. How how did you like I wanna hear I wanna hear your story of how you even got like how you dipped your feet in the water in terms of chasing elk.
1: Okay, I will try to make it brief. Um, I had—I don't even think I had thought about hunting elk when I was growing up in Michigan. I moved to Colorado when I was 19. That's how I got onto that really long uh, college plan. Mm. And uh, I think like a year later, my dad was coming through, going on an elk hunt, and he's like, "You know what? We could probably elk hunt right around here where you're living." I was living in uh, Eagle County at the time, mm-hmm. and we should maybe plan that for next year. And so sort of half-assedly, I was like 19 or 20 at the time. So hunting elk or hunting anything other than, uh, I'm just going to say girls, chasing girls around. And I I mean, that's what I was doing. I was like snowboarding a whole bunch, working and, you know, having a good time as a 19 and 20 year old. And um, so like the elk thing wasn't on my mind. No real kind of hunting was at that moment. Like within a year, that was going to change. But, you know, him saying that and me having to kind of plan out this hunt the next year got me going. And that plan, um, to make a long story short, like I was making phone calls sort of in preparation for the hunt, just trying to figure stuff out. And I ended up talking to a guy that's like, you know what, instead of going on public land where you guys are at, you, you should come rent this cabin that's on a small chunk of private that gives you access to public that doesn't get quite as much pressure. Oh, so God. we did that hunt. That same dude ended up being an outfitter. And the next year we had a good time on the hunt. The next year, he says, Hey, um, I'm glad you guys are coming back. How about for the rest of the seasons? You know, Colorado is broken up with, to like a month of archery. You got a month, a week of muzzle loader, and you got four separate rifle seasons. He said, Outside of the one rifle season you're coming, how come, why don't you come up for the fall and uh, start learning to be a guide? And uh, I was like, Great. <laughs> that sounds like a good time, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, what he actually meant by that is, Why don't you come up and, um, Staying down a bunch of my cabins that we have up up here and help me fix everything up and uh you'll get into the woods a little bit and learn about elk and elk hunting uh you know when you have some extra time, which was great I mean like looking back at it, I got no uh i wouldn't have had it any other way you know it was a great experience and uh, right. I had to work hard up there to get my foot in the door and um uh, but I think by the- by like the end of that first year we had like we were overbooked or there was a sick guide or something, and I think somewhere by like third rifle season, um, I sort of guided a group of guys. They didn't want to pay for like one-on-one guides or two-on-one guides. So I guided like six or seven dudes and just kind of helped them, you know, figure out where to go and sit and look and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, man, that's pretty much how I got into it. You know, very, very much, uh, just had a door open for me and decided to walk through it.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's always funny when you, you ask a question like that. I, I always like hearing those stories cause no one's path is ever like the same you know it's not like there's some cur- cut and dry way to get there one's got their own little story of how they ended up where yes. they are and i always think that's interesting yeah so so how like i know y'all do you, you, like uh you've done a fair amount of of elk hunting on public land correct
1: yes i would say that uh 90 some percent of my elk hunting has been on public land one year I got it in Colorado on a uh, private ranch where we where we hunted you know 99 percent of the time we were on the ranch itself but other than that when I got it all those years in the uh, flat tops in Colorado we were camped and the cabin and stuff was on private but it was a it was a small acreage I mean like somewhere in the hundreds of acres, we didn't make it to a thousand. And so every time you would walk to the back gate and you'd be on national forest, you know?
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, um, that's one of the questions. Like we always get questions from, from like our Facebook page, our Instagram page and all that mm-hmm. uh, A lot of times, just from being headquartered out of Mississippi, we get messages from other folks that are from either Mississippi or the Southeast Alabama, Georgia, you know, the Carolinas, whatever. And they've never, traveled out that you know that they, they want to go elk hunting but one they don't know where to start and two they're like the thought of stepping foot and trying to get on an elk on public land just sounds very intimidating to them so they, they, they don't even want to try it they automatically go well, what's a good outfitter you know they just like sure. ah, you know i don't want i don't want to just you know blow out on public land and not know what i'm doing and that that's a that's not really an attitude that i'm that i encourage because like like you said i think you could speak to like, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I don't think, uh, people should be intimidated to try it. And I just wanted your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I think it's definitely going to take you a little bit longer to be successful by going the DIY public land route than by going, you know, going and getting an outfitted hunt. And I got nothing against outfitted hunts. I mean, like I said, I was part of it for, um, you know, a good dozen years and, I sometimes I recommend them because it's like it's a great way to at least learn the basics. You know, I mean, it's no different than taking a fishing guide out for a day like what you'll learn from that guide in a day of fishing might take you all summer to figure out. Right. And then after that day is over, you can hit the same water or nearby water and use all those techniques and the the lures or flies or whatever it was, um, you know, to your advantage. So there's something to be said for, you know, going guided first. But it does cost a lot of money. That's, that's like the flip side is like what it costs one guided hunt. You might be able to go elk hunt five years, you know, you're doing it on your own. Um, but yeah, I think you just got to have a little bit of grit and, uh, just get after it. It's just going to take more work and more, um, more work ahead of time, right. More pre-production, uh, you know, doing your, you know, scouting and just making lots of phone calls. Um, I was going to give anybody a tip that I think that they don't do often enough, and I'm guilty of it myself. I mean, even just getting ready for haunts that we're going to do and shoot for Meat Eater, the television show, is like just making phone calls and calling local biologists and the game wardens and uh, whoever, you know, some kind of researcher. Maybe there's a grad student that's working on some elk project or bear project or whatever, you know, and just hammering that research. You can get so much information you know just on the internet it's out there you know um i mean i can go into all kinds of tricky stuff but the, the basic stuff is you know really what we all should be doing you know yeah. everybody likes to talk about that trick like going on to like a hiking forum where they there's like there's like a popular trailhead or a popular mountain that everybody likes to hike to and climb up that you, is in that area where you're going elk hunting. Well, you can go on and read a forum and read trip reports And there's all these hikers. They're going to be like, yeah, there's a bunch of elk bugling when I was up there September 5th, you know, and like they're like giving away like literal spots, you know, on uh, just kind of because it's like a fun, fun thing that they saw. Right. Nobody thinks to look in a place like that. Right. Right. Yeah. People love sharing their wildlife experiences.
0: Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah, not on the hunter side. Usually that's when you get to. the Yeah.
1: you and I aren't going to be making that post. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you said not, there's not an elk in this forest, man. I think they all left. Huh?
1: Yeah. We, we barely even saw any, uh, scat on the ground.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: funny how that works.
1: It's funny. Yeah. But it's a good it, yeah. adventure. You know, I mean, I think doing the public land thing on your own, uh, that's what you're going to be guaranteed is like a good adventure. And if that's the kind of person you are and you're seeking that out, uh, you know, you're going to, you're like almost guaranteed a good adventure. And, uh, I think that there's, is success that can be had, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to go into it thinking that, Oh, I hope I just see one. Like you do, if you do your homework, you should be getting into them, you know, and then trying to figure out what it's going to take to kill one.
0: Yeah. Which, what, if I mean, like with the resources we have now, just, I mean, like literally at your fingertips, like, like on X, you know, I know y'all use on X, we use on X with, you know, that, thing. You can get, I mean, a dang near idea of what you're stepping into before you even go out there,
2: you know?
0: And then, um, as far as like, you know, like, uh, we on our, our YouTube channel that we do, we sat down, uh, with will, like we took a whole week and shot instructional videos on like calling techniques, scouting techniques, all that kind of stuff. You know, so like I said, the resources are there. And I I tell people this too, because a lot of times, you know, they're, they asked me, you know, cause obviously I'm not against outfitted hunts either. We, we do it. Um, you know, they're like, well, I could never afford an outfitted hunt. And this, you know, like, again, the, the public land scares me. And I'm like, man, even if you do go out there and you don't, you know, you don't kill an elk, I promise you, you're not going to regret that trip. You know, not like you're gonna regret going out there and seeing all that and experiencing that. I think, but
1: yeah wow. by, by no means man and we all know i mean it's it's hard to like in the moment it's tough the day after an unsuccessful hunt when you got to drive back to missouri you know for yeah a day and a half and, and you didn't get one but a month later you know at, whatever at, at christmas dinner you're still going to be retelling the adventures you had of that trip whether you killed one or not absolutely for and sure you not, you ought to get out of the game
0: <laughs> <laughs> i agree Hunter, there's there's plenty of trips I've been on where I didn't kill anything and I still had a good time. <laughs> I, can, I can speak firsthand about that. So, going into like so like tips and stuff, just because I'm trying to get on your like delve into the insight you have from all your vast experiences, so to speak. I uh, so if you were gonna go, you know, like you're say you're approaching a piece of private land, public land, whatever, just just a place that you've never hunted before. Mm-hmm. What is it like, and you have you know, X amount of days, what is your first, like your first thing you're going to do like out the gate to, to get, is this, to get yourself is this in the game? Like,
1: this, this? You're asking me like uh, I'm, I'm showing up and I got boots on the ground or are we talking like even bef- like before like stuff you could do o- on the internet or using maps?
0: Let's take it from, yeah, from that, even before you get boots on the ground.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, m- making phone calls to all the people that have boots on the ground and seeing, what kind of information you can get out of them. And it might take three or four calls to get that one person on the line that does divulge what you're looking for. But, uh, like I said, man, that you just can't beat getting on the phone and talking to a human. Um, cause w- what's writ- written on the internet, man, I like, I definitely take that with a grain of salt because you just don't know. It's hard to like gauge a person and gauge the information that they're sharing with you when it's written. Right. You right. Can- and I'm sure you can find on all kinds of forums somebody like talking down a unit and somebody talking up the same unit, right? So it's oh, like, oh yeah. So it's good to like talk to somebody that's, you know, at the moment, boots on the ground. Uh, but like, you know, definitely scouting, looking at maps. Because um, once I'm there, you know, I love to glass. I mean, that's going to be like, especially in a place you've never been, you know, glassing. From a high point and trying to, trying to find elk with your binoculars instead of your legs um, is key. And it can be hard to do because everybody wants to, you know, especially when you just get there, your legs are fresh. You want to be walking around listening for, you know, bulls bugling and immediately getting into it. But having the restraint to just sit on a knob for a day and just if you have you have found it, hopefully on a map and you, you know, said, yeah, this place would allow me to see like you know, miles in every direction. Um, that's like the perfect glass and knob, right? Uh, by sitting there for a full day and just glassing your tail off, like you're going to find out where all the alcohol are, are all around you or if there are none and you need to just like completely, you should be picking up camp and moving, you know, three or four or five miles to it and then right. start that process over again. But uh, I definitely think getting up high and looking um, you know, not all elk country is made for that. There are places that are just simply too thick, um, mm. so, you know, too much timber and you're going to have to go and, and just, and just hike and walk around. But if at all possible, I like to get up high in glass, yes. uh, um, you know, depending on what kind of, I'd find out ahead of time, what sort of year they're having as far as weather and moisture. Like if it's looking to be a really hot September and it's been dry, you know, probably good to find some water sources and focus on your efforts on north facing slopes where it's going to be cooler you know the animals now already i can see it on the on the elk that occasionally stroll through my backyard like their coats are not in summer mode already now they're already changing they're like getting blonder they're getting a little bit thicker so if it's a hot september they're going to be on that north facing slope more often than not right they're still going to come yeah. out on south facing slopes to feed um in those crepuscular periods but you know if they can if they can find feed on the north basin sides they're probably going to be in there so knowing all that stuff ahead of time and having some of that stuff marked on your map you know dropping some waypoints on the uh onyx Mm -hmm. uh, finding you know when you find water sources on onyx there's a good chance in elk country that there could be wallows you know so you can sort of mark like hey possible wallow location here you know, walk up some of those smaller ephemeral stream beds, you know, that is that kind of, you know, wallow habitat, right? It's not really a stream, but there's just enough water kind of trickling through there, through the woods. Right. Those kind of spots, man, I, I feel like, especially on a hot year, those can be hot spots, you know, because there's always some, like, green vegetation around there that they might be eating on. Um. Yeah, find some water if it's hot. Same thing if it's cold. It's, like, nowhere... Know where the big open South Basin slopes mm. are going to be. Um, trying to think ahead of time. What else? Yeah. Phone calls and just looking at the map. But that being said, looking at the map, looking at Google Earth, whatever. It just never seems to look like what you think it's going to look like until you get there. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. that you can get a good
0: idea, but it's not, a, you still, it's, it's different when you get your boots on the ground. I know that for a fact. I'd, I always like to, like, I like to ask you that question because we put a lot of emphasis on scouting beforehand. like the Mexico Primos has hunted there for the past, since before I've been working there. And we yep. still will take one or two days and scout and just try I mean, we kind of have a pretty good idea where they're going to be, but there was, there was one year, it was actually two years ago when I, when I had my first archery tag, we got up there to one, there's a spot where every other year there were always elk there, always, always, always. We got up there in glass, not an elk in sight. We're like, well, that's interesting. You know, good, good thing we know that. But, um, we always, like I said, when we're, when we're talking to these people that, that ask us these kind of questions, you know, I want them to have a good hunt. Right. And I can't tell you how many times you hear about someone they just they didn't do that much pre-work and then they just show up and they start hiking around and then blowing a bugle, hoping to hear a bugle back. And maybe that works. I just don't think that puts you in the most, I don't think that gives you your best bet. No,
1: it's very inefficient. And like, I think the one of the main things that people don't think about that and why that works against you is that even us that live in the mountains and are, you know, training for an Elcon and running around and trying to hike all summer and whatever, When you go into an actual elk hunt where you're hiking mountains every single day, hills, mountains, whatever, even if it's a couple miles in and a couple miles out, those days add up very quickly. And like I don't do that now, right? I might go for a run two, maybe three days a week. Maybe I get a hike in once a week. So I'm not used to like the repetitive day after day. So when you just jump right into it and and you basically burn your You you cool your jets, as we say, right? You like burn your legs out in the first day or two, and then you like you start to lose motivation. So it's good, like you guys are doing it, where if you can show up even like before season starts, and that way you don't, you're not even tempted to try to walk around with your bow and your bugle tube, and you just like you focus more on like and have like a scouting mentality of like, okay, let's just assess the situation, let's get an idea for what the country looks like, you know. Um, cause then you're just not wasting time. Like you said, walking around the woods, blowing bugle tubes.
0: Yeah. Which I, you know, I get it. Right. Especially if you, if you watch almost any elk hunting show on TV, everyone wants, it's the same reason, you know, uh, kind of the same appeal. People want to go turkey hunting, you know, they see that calling aspect of it and that's what they want, which I get that. That's one of my favorite parts about it, but it's that pre-work you do ahead to get yourself in the position to get to where you can experience all that fun stuff, the calling stuff.
1: That's right. You, you got to find the elk before you can call to him. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. Or put you in a situation where calling's going to hurt you, you know, if you just don't know, don't really know what's going on, which, which would bring me more to, I guess, to my, to my next topic. Like, um, I always find myself talking about, I like to, I like to concentrate on like common made mistakes, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, how, how do you like say, I mean, you, you located the elk, your, your own elk, whatever, And you're at the point, you know, you're going to start boots on the ground. You're going to start hunting them. How do you gauge, you know, am I going to call at all? I'm I'm going to call aggressively. How do you start gauging how you're going to approach how you're calling to them?
1: Hmm. It's probably going to differ a lot depending on how much, how intimate I am with the land and the animals on it. You know, where we got it in Colorado, We're pounding the same herd of elk, the same elk day after day after day, you know, for over two months. Right. Right. So I'm going to treat those guys a lot differently. Right. Because you don't want to as a guide, you don't want to blow them out of the country. You need them there for the clients. Right. So it's going to be a much softer approach. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to do a lot less pounding on the ground with your boots because you don't want to be spread and sent all around the woods and just sort of, of leaving a big imprint that you know that that you're in there you want to let those elk rest and and be very tactful about when you approach them but if i'm cold rolling into a spot and i've got five days to hunt i'm going to be much more aggressive Mm -hmm. um i'm not going to necessarily wait for them to be calling or bugling for me to start uh doing that and i think that you know if i can't find them with my eyes with my glasses and when i say glasses i mean binoculars right uh, I'm definitely going to try to use bugles and loud cow call, call calls to, as a uh, locator. Um, you know, people, most people, I think, have the assumption that you can only locate with a bugle and get a bugle back. But uh, you know, open read cow call calls like uh, the Hyperlip single—that's uh, probably the first one I used to do that on a lot. Uh, Carlton's estrus wine. Now I use uh, Phelps's. Um, mini Astra's call you know with the with the those are the ones that had the mylar read to stick out on top of the board
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh you can make a loud cow call with those and you can really like sort of i like to say it's sort of like you can almost hear it kind of bouncing off the trees right yeah. like that's right. Sound just like really gets out there and uh you'll get bulls and cows to respond to that sometimes mm-hmm. you know um so i'm trying to think if there's an instance where like i'd like really would like A hunt like that, if I would go around really not calling. Um it would only be if I had found some elk and I kind of knew what they were doing, and I was feeling like they weren't really being very responsive to calls, like either the bulls weren't, you know, coming to them, maybe the rut really wasn't happening, I had a better chance to just sort of either parallel the herd and just try to slip in and get a shot, or you know, get ahead of them and set up in sort of an ambush. Um, I just stay completely silent um, because, you know, doing that, I mean, like the great Chuck Adams, right? Right. I I, I don't know how much, but I don't think he was, he didn't call a lot. That dude snuck around and just slipped in when the time was right. And, uh, And I'm pretty sure that's how he killed most of the giants that he killed. Right. Yeah um so yeah it's situ- it's situation dependent but the thing is is i love calling I mean, that's why i love turkey hunting so much right right uh, having that interaction with the animals is so much fun
0: yeah so it's, it's funny you should say that because I, I was listening to i listened to the episode y'all did last year after y'all want y'all did a a public land hunting was it washington i think yeah that's right yeah and they were talking about your calling style or something like that. They were talking about you running around back there, snapping limbs and raking trees. And 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 the first thing that popped into my head was like, he, he hunts like Wilbur hunts.
1: That's because that's
0: a (laughs) like that.
1: Well, look, man, I, I mean, I wish I could actually like remember which truth video it was, but I think he actually might've said that it was Mary, Mary. That's Will's wife's name, right? Correct. Yep. I want to say that maybe, Mary Primos was the one that was rolling some rocks around on a, on a video once oh, and people actually might've thought that there was like elk moving behind him because he had heard like, you know, the sound of what sounds like a hoof on a log mm-hmm. or a rock that gets kicked down the hill, whatever, whatever she was doing. He was like, man, were there some elk that came behind us? And she's like, Oh no, I just threw some rocks down the hill or whatever, you know? So um, I definitely saw those guys do that way back in the day on some, on some truth videos. Um, but I can remember the first time that I was tipped off to an elk, we had a spot called the burn and it was just like a, I don't know, maybe a five or 10 acre burn on the side of this really thick hillside. It was really steep. We had a trail that went right up to it and you would wait for the thermals to be coming down, you know, to be slipping in there. And I was still You know, solid 100 yards from the actual burn where I'd be able to look at the whole thing. Right. Just sitting there being quiet with my hunter. And all of a sudden I hear just clunk, 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 a rock rolls down the hill. I'm like, huh. I'm like, what would make a rock roll down the hill? You know, like there's not a lot of things. Like, sure, sometimes they just slip loose and roll. But sure enough, I'm like, let's slip in there right now. And, you know, we went up a little farther and peeked in there. And, yeah, there's a five-point bull just feeding. And he had kicked a rock loose. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I I do that because I think it gives, like, that extra little bit of realism. Like, the elk are always, I think, sort of doubting your calling because they're like, I can't see that cow or that bull over there Mm -hmm. that's that's making these sounds, right? So I feel like they're always kind of like, yeah, I don't know yeah um, that's why i think throwing in a decoy every now and then flashing a decoy you, you've always heard of guys that'll like pick up a shed and sort of flash a shed from out behind of a tree right mm-hmm. to show like there's a piece of an elk back here but i think if you can add that next level of sound and just en- enrich that whole sound experience that they're getting um i mean like right now we have a plant called um arrow leaf balsam root that's on the hillside above our house and, man, as it dries out and starting to right now, it gets so loud. I mean, you just – you can't slip through it at all. And the elk can't either. And they're not even feeding on it. They're feeding on the bunch grass around it, and they're feeding on the uh, – the uh, all the shrubs around it. But when they walk through that arrow leaf balsam root, I mean, you could hear them from probably two or 300 yards away just mm-hmm. brushing these leaves, you know. And so same thing. Like when they're over there listening to you calling – I don't know if they're thinking this, if they're like, huh, I'm not hearing that elk walk or I'm not hearing that elk running around. For all the bugling that bull is doing, usually I would also hear all these other sounds. I don't think that they're actually thinking through all of that. I just think that they're sort of used to hearing one set of sounds or one soundscape, however you want to put it. Right. And so when it's just the calling, again, I feel like they're, they're always doubting me. And so uh, I just like to give them every little bit of extra, you know? Yeah. Um, just trying to add that more realism to it. Yeah, exactly. And I'll uh you probably heard me say on that podcast, man. I used to when I was guiding, I had a pair of gloves that it wouldn't be anywhere near cold enough to need gloves, but I would just don those gloves when I would be grabbing sticks and logs to rub trees or, you know, rake the ground or whatever it might be just cuz if I didn't, man, my knuckles and fingers would just be shredded. Uh, <laughs> And I'd peel off layers of clothes because I felt like if I wasn't sweating, I wasn't making enough yeah. noise. You know? Oh, yeah.
0: That's what that's part, man. Like, because, uh, again, like as soon as I heard that, because if you if it it sounds like the way, like if you ever like witnessed Wilbur or Miss Mary calling an elk, it sounds like exactly what you just described. <laughs> like the like uh the first time, the, the like I said, the one time I went hunting in Montana, I was filming Will. And I watched Miss Mary call in an elk for him, and she was back there taking rocks and throwing them down a hill, and she had a stick, she was raking it up against a tree, and the bull come, you know, he come ran running into like ten yards, and Will slam dunked him, you know, and uh, right. Will, Will, he calls it what he calls it herd excitement, tried trying to create herd excitement. I've seen yeah. him, some sometimes he'll he'll kind of, I wouldn't call it. I don't know if less aggressive would be the right way to say it but he'll he won't start out with all the the limb breaking just yet and i've seen him like start out with just calls and then when he starts to cracking limbs or throwing rocks that'll be what makes the elk break and come i've seen that happen probably in the double digits of him caught him or brad calling in elk it's a it's a very 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 lethal tactic i would think to add into your calling
1: yeah no no doubt about it and Like I said, man, I feel like if you're not sweating, you're not doing it enough. I mean, I was actually watching elk this morning. I feel very fortunate that every now and then, you know, we have like a herd that sort of like moves through this valley that I live in. in And they literally happened to be in my yard, probably 10 of them. And then there was another 30 or 40 that were kind of across the gully on a hillside. So I yanked the kids out of bed and we got to watch them. And funny enough, there was actually in the middle of all these elk, there's like probably the biggest bear I've seen yet on the property, smack dab in the middle of them, peeling service berry bushes over on their sides, just chowing away. And there's elk within five and 10 yards and the cows are like yak like doing that really loud, just yeah. like trying to like get everybody together and move them up the hill. And like a, the young bulls doing some bugling, and like they're five and 10 yards from this giant black bear, and neither the bear or the elk care about each other. Like, do not worry about it <laughs> at all. It's like the craziest thing. Yeah. But yeah, I'm watching them, and it's like 90% of that herd is feeding. And then there's like the young bull, he like chases the cow a little bit. And when he does that, you hear a crash, 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 right? And then the right. cow goes back to feeding. He stands there, he bugles. And then all of a sudden there's like two calves up the hill and they start chasing each other. So you hear crash, 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 crash. When that, when they stop, it's pretty quiet, right? For five minutes. It's like no sounds at all. It's just quiet. a cow chirp here and there. And then all of a sudden that young bull is like, you know, it's whatever, it's getting to be late August. So he's getting fired up. So he like starts pushing towards another cow. She runs off crash, crash, crash. So, um, Besides just swinging branches and rolling rocks, like I try to get that crash, crash, crash going, you know, like I, I'll find like a set of bushes. I'm like, yeah, if I run through those, <laughs> I'm hopefully going to get crash, crash, crash. And that sound of like a cow running away from a bull or maybe he's running after her, whatever it might be. But uh Yeah. And the only way you're going to do that is by watching elk a bunch and trying to then replicate, you know, what you're seeing. Exactly.
0: That's a, I was uh I was talking to uh, I was actually talking to Jay Scott the other day and we were talking about that just about how I mean there's so much that you can learn from this, but from you know from these kind of things, podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever. But going out there and seeing it and and hearing it for yourself. That's what that's what made me get better at calling and doing it just seeing it happen and listening to it with my own eyes and my own ears that you know it, it seems kind of it's the same way with turkey on huh? you know you go out there and you hear actual turkeys you learn how to call to them better you know it's just a natural progression I guess definitely
1: but uh yeah I want to finish it off with I'm definitely with will with like start soft quiet, not aggressive and then just sort of escalate to you know to whatever level is needed um but uh definitely start with as little as possible right you never know that might be all it takes
0: yeah yeah that's usually like i said wilbur is not at all afraid to get aggressive that's evident in in all his videos but he usually just he builds up to that sometimes sometimes he just kind of (laughs) throw i've seen him before you know if he if he'll just throw a challenge bugle and i've seen it work for him but typically Typically, he's, he kind of builds to it. Builds to it.
1: And a lot of that might depend on how much time is left. You know, I mean, if yeah. it's you only have 30 minutes before dart, and it's like the second to last day, you know, like <laughs> then get after it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. The one, the one instance I was thinking of when I said that, um, we were actually hunting, and Troy, Troy was the only one with the tag left, and we, it was our like last, last full day that we had. And mm-hmm. we've been hearing some elk, and we got spot we wanted to call, and Will just right off the bat threw a challenge bugle at them, And then the circus show began. It was like a – what did y'all – y'all also I, – I keep referring back to that podcast. There's a term y'all used, uh, a rut ball. And yeah. This, uh, yeah. I was like, hey, I understand. When y'all started explaining what that was, I was like, yeah, I've, I've, I've experienced that before. I know what they're talking about. It's pretty incredible. Well,
1: it is, man. It is. I, you just hope for that, right? Like one – one of those every year kind of makes me happy to just kind of get in the middle of um, – I think you guys have called it maybe – or what was his name? Was it Jim Horn that used mm-hmm. to do some, yeah, Primo's videos, and he called it like the magic circle maybe? <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I'm all about being in the middle of that magic circle. <laughs> oh,
0: it, it's something. It, it happened to us last year, and it, it was something about like I, like I was filming Will – Um, Well, all of us were there. I just happened to be running primary camera and Will shoots this elk and then he kind of runs off and we all just kind of sat there and gathered ourselves But while we're sitting there. I mean, you know, when you get in one of those magic circles, you're kind of just picking them off the outskirts and there's so much madness and elk craziness going on. They don't really, you know, a bull running off doesn't really phase them. And so we're sitting there, hadn't gone and looked for Will's bull yet in the middle. We're just hearing all this bugles and cows and sticks breaking and them just doing their elk thing it's absolutely incredible the kind of stuff that just you know when you go to sleep you hear it in you in the back of your head it doesn't leave you yeah yeah one of the like i guess the last topic i'd want to that we could end it on is something fun like what are your what, what are your plans for this september the Primo surround view blinds have truly changed the game for ground blind hunting. And now, for the month of September, you can get the lowest price ever available only on Primos.com. Receive $50 off 360 and 270 surround views. Head on over to the website now and check it out.
2: Yeah, I
1: wish I, wish I had like an exciting personal plan for September to tell you about. Um, I don't because two reasons. One, we have a bit really busy September with uh, shooting Meat Eater. And mm-hmm. then, uh, two, I drew uh, a Wyoming Region G mule deer tag, which we, we're going to head down at the oh, end cool. of September. And that goes the first week of September we'll be hunting. And then right on – or I'm sorry, October. It goes – this. the hunt is the first week of October. And then right on the heels of that, I've got a first rifle tag in Colorado for elk. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a chance I'll get some – you know bugling there i think the hunt's hunt starts on like the 12th ish of october which Mm. in colorado they can be talking pretty good still then absolutely um so those are kind of like my two big haunts i'm very excited about both of them you know burn some points getting both of those and uh you know looking forward to those but september um we're doing um it's gonna be a great hunt i just won't be hunting myself but uh steve and a guy rourke denver who we've hunted with in the past, they mm-hmm. both drew muzzleloader tags in a um unit uh kind of like on the new mexico Colorado border, and so we'll be down there mid September and usually by that time in Colorado, just about everybody's you know wanting to start bugling a little bit so mm-hmm. um yeah, I'm excited to see that man. that's one thing I miss from I used to live in Colorado for fifteen years and living in Montana now. Colorado has those Aspen Groves that yeah. are just magical places to, you know, hang out and hunt in. And um, I know that where we're going, we're going to have lots of that. And so yeah. just knowing that I'm going to get some, you know, breezy afternoon naps in those Aspen Groves, uh, that's going to be pretty sweet. You know. Yeah, I, still,
0: I can remember the first time I saw an elk slipping through an Aspen Grove. I thought my heart was going to stop. I know what you're talking about.
1: It's yeah, a, man, it's, it's, it's a uh, special, special thing. it it really is. So, um, yeah, man, that's kind of the main, you know, kind of elk action activity we have in September is that muzzleloader hunt. And we'll, we'll take a week off and we'll be going, uh, mule deer hunting in, uh, in Wyoming. So a little bit light on the, uh, rut action for me this year, but, uh, I I can't complain, you know, I'm just going to make sure that in 2020, um uh, i've got plans for like a you know my personal backcountry hunt which i usually like to do every year is to take like a solid week and go into the mountains and, and spend six or seven days you know chasing bulls right. but yeah won't be ha- happening this year but like i said I've, I've got uh i've got great hunts on the horizon so yeah it, it won't
0: be lack for other fun things to do y'all have uh y'all be plenty busy plenty busy yeah. oh so- yeah no it's gonna be nuts so one, like one more thing and we'll, we'll be done. I'll let you, I'll let you go. But in the, in the nature of, of meat eater who you're with, I thought it would be, I thought I'd be doing our listeners a disservice if I didn't ask you some sort of, you know, wild game related question. Right. Mm, so okay. Since we're talking about elk, I'm not, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure if someone told me to say like their one favorite thing, you know, that'd be hard for me to peg down, but you know, like just some like, you know, you have some elk meat. What are some, you know, I don't know, two, maybe three of your favorite things that you like to do with it?
1: Hmm. I would say uh, <laughs> this is, this is going to sound like a like a uh, cheap answer. But uh, we especially with two little kids now, I've got uh, six and eight year old girls at home and um, we go through a lot of ground. <laughs> right. Um, I I got no, no, I'm not shy about saying that we eat a lot of ground elk meat. I mean, it's good, it's healthy, it's delicious, you know. We do tacos and burgers and uh, chili, um, all kinds of stuff. Um, for like roasts and steaks, probably the most common way I'll cook it. Is either, and I'll go both ways. I'll either sear and finish in the oven, or I'll do like what they call like a reverse sear where you can do like the sous vide thing or put it in a smoker and do it low and slow and bring up your roast to temperature and then just sear it at the end. But I much prefer to take like a whole chunk, like a whole top round or, um, you know, a whole chunk of loin and cook the thing to 125 degrees pull it off, let it rest a little bit, then slice it into, you know, however you want to slice it. If it seems to be like the elk is a little bit chewier than most, I'll slice it thin to Mm whim. But you can also have that same roast and cut like, you know, nice, you know, three quarter inch kind of slabs off of it. And it's a completely different eating experience. Um, But I feel like that's the best way to kind of keep mo like most of the little moisture that's actually in elk meat right because there's not a lot of fat right it's lean and so i feel like keeping that chunk whole then slicing it after you've cooked it versus cutting steaks and cooking those on the grill um that's we eat that a lot you know very simple sometimes i'll make a little you know quick like hunter's pan sauce where you know kind of use the drippings, throw some mushrooms in there and uh make a little thickener of like roux and then, you know, use some stock, maybe a little red wine, uh, to make kind of a sauce gravy, you know, Mm -hmm. for that same meat for sure. Um, and then man probably like the next favorite thing that I like to do a lot is working with all my, um, what I used to consider like the worst cuts and the tough cuts that used to kind of linger in the freezer a long time, Now it seemed to kind of go first, and it started off with me – it probably started off with me meeting Steve, and he turned me on to do an Asabuco with the elk shanks, Mm -hmm. which is when you take the shank from, like, below what you would think is, like, the knee joint, you know, going down towards the ankle joint. And I have an elk, usually you just get two or three, like, prime Asabuco cuts because you got to cut them, like – you go with the bone in there, and you cut it three inches, maybe two to three inches thick. Mm -hmm. um and get sort of these like meat rounds of shank that have the um the shank bone in the middle of them right right you you take that and the quick version of the recipe is that um you take it a little bit of flour brown it and then it goes into a like a a covered dutch oven that'll go into your oven with tomatoes um celery onions you know sort of kind of it's an italian dish so think italian spices Just let it low and slow. You just let it simmer in there for some. Some can be done in three hours. I've probably cooked them sometimes as long as five or six hours. And, uh, man, all that stuff that you don't like about a shank, all that stuff melts away that sinew and that, you know, um, all that connective tissue in there. And when it melts away, it adds this, like, just amazing, like, silky texture to, you know, the meat and the sauce and everything. And I'll serve that over um, polenta or risotto. And yeah. my favorite dish is right there. And that, but then that's like I said, that was kind of the first thing I did with what people think of as like tough, shitty uh, chunks of elk a lot of times. Right. But any uh, thing like the neck roast, same thing. It's got a lot of that connective tissue, right? You're not going to cut a, you're not going to roast that thing whole and then cut thin slices out of it and serve it. That's not going to be good, but searing it and then putting it in that Dutch oven or a crock pot low and slow for five, six hours, and then picking it apart. Again, all that connective tissue then adds that kind of silkiness and that flavor. And it gives you what people want out of meat. Most of the times when they say like, oh, I love a juicy steak, right? Well, it's that juiciness that everybody loves and it's hard to come by with wild game because have the fat content. Well that connective tissue and collagen and all that stuff in there, that's what gives you that, you know, juiciness from wild game. So I'll take that neck roast and uh pick it and then do like tacos with that meat, or I'll do uh like a pulled kind of barbecue sandwich. You know, we'll just take that meat, put it on a bun, throw some uh barbecue sauce on there and eat it that way. Um so yeah. That a good answer for you? Yeah, man, I knew I could
0: count on you for that stuff. Heck yeah. Yeah. See, if, if I wouldn't ask you that question, look what I'd have missed out on. I'm gonna try some of that. That I'm gonna try some of that this elk season, Lord willing. What's that? That that it, I can't. What? What? How do you pronounce that? The Italian one?
1: Asabuco.
0: Asabuco.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna
0: do that. S
1: O B U C C O. I think there's two C's at the end. Asabuco um yeah i want to i believe that asabuco means like hole in the bone or hole in the meat or something like that Um. because yeah when you look at that disc you know you can see that the bone kind of has that hole in there you know that has the marrow i'm sure that that marrow that's in that bone also adds a lot of flavor to it but yeah no doubt it's, it's actually one that It sounds difficult. There's probably there is a a fair amount of prep that is involved to it. But once you get everything into that pot, you really can't mess it up. The only way you can mess it up is if you crank the oven to 350 and then just like boiled it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Adding too much heat will also dry it out and it's not going to like just start to fall apart like you want. I mean, it's really no different than doing a uh, doing a pig overnight right on on a on a smoker right like it takes (laughs) all night man and just you just got to apply that slow heat to it um but yeah once you get it in there and get it going yeah like you can't mess it up and once it's tender you've got like then you've got like a space of hours before you're sort of going to get beyond a good product right you can leave it in there and let it cook as long as you check on it and all the moisture hasn't evaporated You can, you know, add in a little stock every now and then, but you've got a long window of it being good before you're going to break into it being something bad again, you know? Right, right, right. But I I would try it, man. If you've you've never done the Asubuco, that would be like my number one thing to say, yeah, make sure like, because I noticed you guys pack out your shanks because I saw a picture of you guys with elk legs sticking out of your quarters, which... The truck must have not been too far away because I always chop those lower legs off if I'm going to be packing them more than a couple hundred yards. So you guys must have been close to the truck. But if you're packing out bone-in quarters, like, that's the perfect opportunity. Um, Here's a hot tip for you. If you like hot tips and you're like, like, well, how am I going to get those chunks of Asabuco? These dudes from Alaska we hunted elk with last year rolled in and you know they all hunt moose and so they know how to break down some big critters right right they had stanley smooth cut saws with them every one of them and man i'm telling you i've never seen a saw go through bones like these stanley smooth cuts hmm. and the the great thing about it was that it was light that saw was like i mean i don't know a quarter of a pound i mean it's like yeah. a light little wood handle the blades only maybe a foot long and uh as soon as i came out of that haunt i went down to ace hardware and got me a stanley (laughs) smooth cut and uh and uh it's uh yeah i actually got to use it the other day because i picked up a um my first ever roadkill little side story here if you got another minute oh yeah Uh, i'm rolling home my neighbor stops me and he's like uh you want a moose And that kind of of caught me off guard. I'm like, what? You know, (laughs) well, my daughter just saw one of the calves. We had like a a mama with twins running around the the neighborhood valley there. And she's like, yeah, you know, my daughter just saw one of them get hit. It was like 10 minutes ago. We just moved it off the side of the, you know, off to the into the ditch. And I'd never, I I, I take that back. One time I did it with an elk and a, a buddy took the elk but it had been smashed on the interstate by like a big truck. I think by like a, like an actual dump truck right. and that thing, we peeled it out. And the whole thing was just purple mush. I mean, there was nothing, yeah. nothing fit for human consumption. Right. A little bit leery, but we rolled up on it and it looked like, I mean, the truck that had hit it was still there waiting on the cops. I mean, and the truck had almost no damage to it. So I'm thinking, well, it couldn't have been that bad. And you had like a little bit of blood come out of an ear and then one broken back leg. And I'm like, well, it's probably worth it. You know, like a, it's worth it. to Give it a shot. instead of just, you know, giving it to the coyotes immediately. And right, so uh,
2: yeah.
1: when else am I ever going to get to eat a uh, a uh, a calf moose? Right. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that doesn't happen. So, yeah. So we packed it out and I was I was uh, as I was butchering it, I was using that uh, Stanley smooth cut saw, man. And I'm telling you. Uh, that is a Asabuco making machine right there.
0: Yeah. Hot <laughs> tip for the day. I like that, man. I, yeah. So, uh, what you were talking about, we killed the elk that morning and we were actually able to finagle the, the Polaris ranger through the rocks. We had about, I think it was a little bit over a mile we had to pack out. So not very far. I've done much further than that <laughs> where, yeah, those legs probably would have went if, if we had to go much further, but it was, and it was, it was pretty much just side the whole way. There wasn't any. Didn't have to go back okay. up over any hills, so it wasn't terrible. But, yeah, yeah. man, that Asabuco. We've all,
1: we've all done enough elk pack outs that when you get an easy one, you take it.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, we didn't. I wasn't complaining about that at all. I was like, side-hilling for a mile? I got that. Come on. <laughs> we can do this, guys. And that was the last hunt of the year, too, so we were all pretty wore down. We were very thankful for that for that quick pack-out job, for sure, for sure, no doubt. Um, well, man, look, I, I, I'll let you go. We've, uh, man, look, we broke our hour.
1: <laughs> it's all all good, man. It was, it was fun. I appreciate you, uh, inviting me to have me on. Man, absolutely. Look, I, I'm such a fan
0: of meat eater. I love what you guys do. I love the show. I love the podcast that, uh, the, the DOS boat thing y'all are doing on YouTube. I've watched both episodes. That's been great. Y'all, y'all do, y'all do a good job, man. Y'all really do. And, um, yeah, I, I know that you're busy. So, uh, Thank you for the insight. I learned some. Hopefully our listeners learned some. And yeah, I think we're done, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, man. Well, good luck to you in September and to all your
0: listeners as well. Cool, man. Well, that's going to be it. We're going to wrap up. Thank you all for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.